Assalamu alaikum, dear viewers. Um, thank you so much for joining us for what is sure to be a fruitful discussion and a very important one. Um, my name is Hidayah Nawi, and I am extremely honored to be joined by two prolific guests to discuss spiritual manipulation known by another name as spiritual abuse. Um, I'm sure that these panelists need absolutely no introduction, but for the like four of you who might not know who they are, I am pleased to be joined by Sheikh Noor Muhammad. Sheikh Noor is the resident alim at Al-Abbas Islamic Center in Birmingham in the UK. He is also the head of Islamic affair, Islamic cultural affairs at the Council of European Jamaat. He's a national trustee and co-chair at Citizens UK and he's the deputy head of, mental, of the mental health caucus at West Midlands Combined Authority. Um, say that three times fast. Um, and he was also elected the most impactful imam in the UK in 2021. With him is also Dr. Kofar Abbas, who is a family doctor um, by profession with an interest in mental health, women's health, and lifestyle medicine. She's also a part-time Hamza student and has been giving lectures and teaching Quranic recitation and Tajweed for almost 20 years. She is passionate about community, grass, grassroots work, and is the chair of the Muslim Families Initiative, which has organized regular family and child-oriented events for the past eight years. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Abbas, we'll start with you. Um, when we talk about religious manipulation, also known as um, spiritual abuse, what, what is that? What are we talking about? And how is it different from other forms of abuse? So I think, I think when we, we were debating about which one's better, religious manipulation or spiritual abuse. And I think, I, I think probably I prefer religious manipulation. I mean, it's basically exactly what it says, the manipulation um, of religion in order to control, I guess, other people, uh, manipulate, bully, harass, uh, whatever it might be under the guise of religion. So it often happens in a situation where you have a little bit of um, maybe a hierarchy or someone who's maybe seen as more of an authority in, in a relationship who then will be able to say, will, will use things like uh, the fear of hell and the, the reward of, you know, the, the promise of reward in order to sort of control and manipulate people. So it's complete distortion, uh, if you like, of the religious um, uh, of the religious message because it's all for personal gain and when it comes to other form of abuse like sort of spiritual or financial or psychological um, sexual um, it can be all of these things um, but the key is that they use sort of religious texts or precepts or you know to say that no god says you should do this or you know this is how you should behave according to islam um, for their own gain so i mean you can think of examples from individual level um, even from, you know, uh, from, from parental level, teacher level, all the way up to maybe even institutional level. Um, and it's not just an Islamic concept, of course, it's, it's, it's rife in every, in, in every kind of religion or school of thought, cults, things like that. It's, 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 but unfortunately, it's very much in our communities as well. Um, absolutely. But I think 
you know, that that's a very succinct um, way of putting it and touching on every aspect of this. Sheikhna, one form of spiritual abuse that we often hear or religious manipulation that we often hear about are, you know, parents, for example, using religion to, for lack of a better word, bully their children into doing what they want. But also increasingly, another facet that we keep hearing about is people in positions of spiritual power, you know, using their positions to coerce, you know, people into sexual relationships with them, things of that nature. So how how do we go about drawing the line between what is a cultural practice, maybe, for example, as in the case of the parents, and what is a religious law? Thank you so much, Mr. Hidayah for the introduction. Indeed, it's a very powerful topic which ought to be discussed with the details it deserved. No doubt, as Muslims and as lovers and followers of Ahl al-Bayt, we understand Islam is a holistic way of life in the sense that it presents us or provides us with the general guiding principles on how to go about our life, regardless of the spheres or the field of life that we're talking about. When we look at the social dimension of Islam, you realize that parents no doubt have rights over their children, and children also have rights over their parents. But what we often hear sometimes from the pulpits and from the discussion cycles, we hear people hammering on the right of parents over their children, but nobody seems to discuss the rights of the children over the parents, yeah. which I think is of great importance. And as a result of that, some parents, unfortunately, are capitalizing on these and going against the teaching of religion and forcing their children to do things which really, if you are to bring it to the lens of Islam, you realize that Islam will push it away. And some, as a result of hearing too much of parents' rights and nothing about children's rights, they tend to use, to use their culture in place of Islam. For example, a daughter will say, look, uh, the person that my parents are proposing for me to get married with, it's not the type of person really I think I will be able to live life with. But sometimes really, will say, look, I'm from this particular country. I'm from this particular culture. Why? What do you want people to say about me out there? You must marry. You must go for it. This is manipulation. And it has no room in Islam. And Islam doesn't accept it. Islam says, just be kind to your parents, respect your parents, reach out to your parents. But there is no way in Islam where parents are allowed to force their children to do what is not acceptable, either because of their culture and uh, in uh, any other thing. Another example is, yes, there are people who use religion to force people into sex. Some may use muta'a, for example, for these kind of things, which is not acceptable within the religion of Islam. Some will use their position and makam and do how they please. And when people confront them, they would misquote teachings of Islam, be it Quran, be it the traditions of the prophets and Ahlul Bayt, alayhi wassalam. So all these things are typical examples of religious manipulation, and they have no room within the religion of Islam. So quickly, where do we draw the line? Some may use their cultures. And try to justify it to be a religious text or religious teachings. And some may use their positions. Where do we draw the line? 
to draw the line is very simple. It is a red line to use your culture and to use your position against the teachings of Islam. So the way out is to follow the teachings of Islam as taught and brought to us by the Holy Prophet and Ahlubayt al-Ismati al-Tahara. That is where we draw the line. Culture will remain culture if it contradicts the teachings of Islam. Unless if it does not contradict, then Islam says you can take it on board. Otherwise, you are not allowed to do so. Thank you, Shihakta. That's an incredible answer. Um, given everything we heard from Dr. Abbas, um, I'm wondering if there are examples of this in Islamic history. And if there were, how was it handled? Because the prevailing response these days just seems to be little more than just be patient. Absolutely, absolutely. We always take our cue from the history of Islam, from the times of our beloved Prophet and Ahlul Bayt So let's look at a few examples and how Prophet and Ahlul Bayt dealt with them. The first example is racism. There are people who use Islamic texts to antagonize, to undermine, to ridicule, to push people away. During the time of our beloved prophet, there were those who were of the view that, look, Quran is in Arabic, plain Arabic, and the prophet is an Arab, and God sent him to an Arab country, say Saudi Arabia, for instance. So any other race, especially black color, you do not have any room here. So they undermined so many people. They blatantly demonstrated the racism against the blacks who were inclined to the teachings of Islam. How did our prophet handle this? He gave Bilal position. He gave him position, not just Mu'azzim. Bilal was also the secretary of our beloved prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to tell them that there is no racism in Islam. There is no superiority in Islam. That is one example. Another example, as we're talking of Imam Ali and human value. You know, Amir al-Mu'mineen, alayhi salam, when, of course, he moved from the holy city of Medina to the holy city of Kufa. There were people who were close to him who thought, now our own is in charge. So let us try to get whatever we want from him. Typical example, Amir al-Mu'mineen had a sister called Fahita. Fahita, my dear brothers and sisters, she used to be in the holy city of Makkah with her husband. And the husband used to torture and attack Muslims, you know? So there's a time when the Holy Prophet said to Amir al-Mu'mineen, go to Makkah and administer justice. She used to use the name of Imam Ali without the consent of Imam Ali to wage war against Muslims and against people. Amir al-Mu'mineen went to a house wearing face masks. Of course, as I always say, not like the current face masks we have, you know? So he was wearing face masks. He entered the house. When he entered the house, he did not speak. So she thought he was someone else. He said, if you dare make a step in this house, I will call my brother Ali, and he will deal with you drastically. This is religious manipulation and spiritual abuse. Because he's thinking that my brother is the head, is the one who fought in most of the Islamic battles. Let me use his name to scare people, to threaten people. All of a sudden, Amir al-Mu'minin opened his face. And she saw it was Amir al-Mu'minin alayhi salam. And he said to her, there is no family here. I am here to administer justice. I'm going to make sure that you are held accountable and you are dealt with drastically. And that's what exactly happened. Last example, Imam Amir al-Mu'minin in Kufa, his brother Akil came to him. 
He thought, now my brother is in charge. Of course, Akil was a good person, but my brother is in charge. Let me go and get some money from my brother. He went to Amir al-Mu'minin. He said, I need 1,000 dinar. Amir al-Mu'minin said, I do not have 1,000 dinar. He said, but you are in charge of Islamic treasury. Today, it is happening in some of our communities. Leaders are sitting on wealth, and they do as they please. They call it in the name of, I'm a leader, I travel this, I travel that, and they are abusing the wealth of our communities. Youth are struggling, people with mental health are struggling. Some of our communities are faced with these challenges, and if you dare talk, they will chase you out of the community. Amino Mini said to Akil, no, 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 I deserve three dinar. You deserve three dinar. Each and every member of this community who is under me deserve three dinar. So therefore, Ahlul Bayt they faced those challenges hands on. They did not beat about the bush. They tackled it there and there, and they removed it completely from the community. And that is really the lesson we need to take from this. Shekhna, those are fantastic examples. Thank you so much. Dr. Abbas, um, to come back to you, what are your thoughts? How do we hold abusers accountable in these kinds of cases? I think um, I think probably on two levels we have to think about how we can change things. The first is on institutional on the institutional level, a systematic shakeup of how our institutions really are running. Because you know, as someone who's I, I used to be a partner in a practice, we have thousands of policies for every single eventuality. So if there is a case of bullying, harassment, if there is an allegation of some sort, there is a process to follow um, to be able to look into that, to be able to investigate it. There is a transparency there where you feel, um, if it works, that you are listened to and that there is going to be a process for this. Um, and there is an external body that looks into these policies and is able to sort of independently sort of arbitrate on these things. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for all mosques and Islamic centers, but I, I feel that we all need to make sure that it's all, all in line in that way, that everything's written down, that people feel a confidence when they come forward with these issues, that it doesn't become like a, a trial by social media where someone says, you know, this so-and-so did this, and then everyone is, all starts going off into, we, we need other avenues for people to safely come forward and share their concerns and feel that they're being dealt with properly. And I think on an individual level, I mean, we, we talked about sexual, sexual abuse um, in the context of religion. Um, and so I can only talk as, as a woman, a lot of women, a lot, a lot of cases I've heard have been of, of this nature. Um, and we just need to be working to empower ourselves as women to know our religion. We need to be prioritizing um, you know, and the, you know, we have a lot of a lot of things going on. And for me, I'm I'm a mom, I'm a doctor, I'm trying to sort of balance, but I think that we, we have to, in even the smallest way, prioritize knowledge of our religion so that we are just a little bit more savvy when it comes to knowing our rights, knowing the rights that Islam gave to us. Um, and I, it's not in a way, any way to victim blame, but we need to be empowering the girls from the youngest of ages to know their place in Islamic society, to know their rights under Islamic law. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, we've, we've talked a little bit about accountability. Shekhna has touched on it. Um, you have just spoken on it. Um, and one facet that we haven't really talked about so far is being of support to people who have um, been victim to this or have, have survived this. How do we go about doing that? Again, it comes to the strength of our communities. It comes to 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always passionate about create, you know, creating, cultivating community because I think in this society that we live in, it's a very in, individualistic, um, it can, can tend towards individualism. Uh, people are starting now to discover the value of community. Uh, we have this concept, it's in, entrenched in our religion. Um, we need to be actively working towards it because on a community level, we're able to much more support people. You know, you'll be able to know who's out there who needs your support. Um, uh, you know, in a non, you know, in the most non-judgmental, non, you know, uh, you know, we need to be we, we need to be actively thinking of how to do this. I mean, I, I came across a website when I was looking into this topic called Inshers Clothing, which is an American website where they try to um, help victims of spiritual abuse. Um, it would be wonderful to have these things disseminated to our communities, to have things like that accessible, where you can have peer-to-peer -peer support or you know just some way a safe place for for people to come forward with these issues and, and feel supported in a non-judgmental way. Mm. Definitely. Thank you so much. Um, Shekhna, I'm going to give you uh, the, the final word here. Um, Dr. Abbas has beautifully, you know, mentioned this. I want to know, given that a lot of the times, unfortunately, in our communities, when we talk about these things, we're talking about um, people who have um, spiritual um, power, for lack of a better word, over us in terms of, you know, alims and, and, and whatever else. We often hear about this from that lens, right? Because, you know, we give utmost respect to our alims. And as a result of that, it is very easy for the people who want to take advantage in whatever way, be it sexual, be it financial, um, they, they can do that. So I think it's important for you um, to answer this question. What would you say? to someone who is currently enduring this form of abuse, specifically from, you know, an alim, maybe. Thank you, thank, thank you so much, uh, Sister Hidayat. You know, as we said earlier on, spiritual abuse has no room within the religion of Islam. Our beloved prophet came to discipline us physically and spiritually. And so regardless of who holds the authority, Sometimes the authority may be the imam, the resident alim, the speaker, you know, or those in authority like the chairman, the vice chair, those in executive authority. I mean, we see different colors of spiritual abuse in some of our communities, and people are just taking advantage of the situation. And what really saddens me, Sister Hidayat, and Dr. Kaufer, and our dear viewers, is that when a person is faced with this challenge, I'm talking of the victims from the victim's perspective. What do we hear now? Be patient. Be patient. You know, in Urdu, someone will tell you, Sabr Karo. You know, I like to be sabr. It's very. Be patient. Be patient doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it worsens the situation. This has, you know, psychological, physical, mental impact on the person who is faced with this. So how do we tackle it? Obviously, the main aim is to root it out completely. But how do we go about it? It has to be dealt with Islamically and legally. I'm not that type of a person who holds the opinion that, look, if we speak about it, we are washing our dirty clothes out there. No, 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 no. Somebody is going about taking advantage of people could be financial advantage, could be sexual advantage, could be any other advantage. And we are yet saying, 
make dua, Allah Ta'ala will make it easy for you. No, 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 no. Allah will make it easy for you, I agree. But Allah is also just. We are celebrating the birth anniversary of Amirul Mu'mineen. Imam Ali is just. He administered justice with his family members, with his friends, with all and sundry. And so, practical solution. Number one, it has to be dealt with legally and Islamically. Islamically means what? Remove the person out of the community who causes the problem. And legally, expose him, let the law deal with the person. I go the heavy one so that we are able to root out this. And lastly, we need to give support to those who are victimized and those who are faced with these challenges. Not just telling them, du'a, du'a, be patient. Allah will make it easy. For inshallah, we'll have another time to discuss this more. Thank you. Allah, yeah. And I think that's a beautiful way to end. Um, thank you so much to, to both panelists and to the viewers for um, listening. And, you know, inshallah, you learned a lot as I did. Um, bear in mind, as Sheikh said, this is just a conversation starter. There's a lot more. We, I could talk about this for an hour, but we don't have that kind of time. So thank you so much um, to my panelists, to the viewers, and wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.